I'm curious to know something about you. I would like to know how many of you grew up in a home without faith. In other words, you did not grow up in a home where you were surrounded by believers. That describes you. Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. Several of you. Now, that's the case. It means you weren't exposed to faith from your earliest days. It means that you came to faith as a result of someone outside of your family. It might have been a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, depending upon how old you were when you first encountered Jesus. And maybe someone invited you to church or to a summer camp. Maybe they asked you to attend a conference or a retreat or some kind of outreach event. But you came to faith because a follower of Jesus, perhaps a number of followers of Jesus, cared enough to reach out to you personally. And that's my story too. As I shared a few weeks ago, my journey to faith took eight years and involved a number of different people speaking God's truth into my life at different points. So I, I became a Christian just as many of you became Christians because some followers of Jesus understood their mission. Over the last couple of months, we've talked about our church mission statement. It's over here on the wall, to know him, to love him, to share him. We've talked about ways we express this mission together through the ministries that we support as a church, ministries that extend our reach locally and regionally and globally. Yet this ministry is not something that we just do together. This mission is something we also do individually because Jesus asks each of us to be his witnesses in this world and he empowers us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be his witnesses. Yet sometimes we act as if our only role is to support the mission of the church through our prayers and our finances. And we let others do the actual work of drawing people into the kingdom of God. If we adopt that attitude, then we miss out on one of the most exciting aspects of the life of faith. The opportunity to bring people to Jesus. This is the personal part of the church's mission. It's your mission. It's my mission. This morning we're going to look at a Bible passage where we see people get excited about Jesus and because of that excitement, the first thing they do is they want to bring other people to Jesus. They want to talk about him. And as with many Bible passages, there's a whole lot here, more than we ever could cover in one message. But as I spent time in prayer, I became convinced that God wants us to zero in on a few simple practices. Practices that can help us befriend people who don't yet know Jesus and bring them to Jesus. Let's take a look into the book of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, John, that is the, uh, John the Baptist, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So this story begins with John the Baptist calling Jesus the Lamb of God, and it's a term that has special meaning for the Jewish people because they sacrificed lambs on the temple altar in order to receive God's forgiveness for their harmful behavior. By identifying Jesus as God's Lamb, John is saying that Jesus, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus, this man, that he, not some animal, is the one who can rescue people from the consequences of their own worst impulses. Jesus, not some animal, helps people get right with God. And this is a startling description, and it gets the attention of John's, a couple of John's disciples, so they start tagging along after Jesus. You see, they don't know him, but they're curious. They want to spend time with him and learn more about him, which tells us they are spiritual seekers. And what does Jesus do? He practices hospitality. He invites them to the home where he's staying so he can spend time with them. And this is very typical behavior for Jesus. It's not unusual at all. He does it repeatedly throughout his life. And we find him hanging out not just with spiritual seekers like these two men, but he also hangs out with unspiritual people who are notorious for their ungodly lifestyles. You see, to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a civic leader or a shyster tax collector. It doesn't matter if you know a lot about God or barely know anything at all. Jesus will socialize with you. He spends all kinds of time with all kinds of people, often in the setting of a home. Because he knows that hospitality is a great way to build relationships that can lead to serious spiritual discussions. And I deeply believe that we should follow Jesus' example. Because your neighborhood and my neighborhood, our neighborhoods are full of people who are spiritual seekers. And they're also full of unspiritual people. And all the people in our community need Jesus, which means they need us to be their friends, to extend some hospitality. But you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, hospitality doesn't come easy to many people. We tend to be rather selective about who we build close friendships with. And some of us are even more selective about who we invite into our homes. Would we have family in our home? Well, probably. Close friends? Yeah, yeah, perhaps. But how about people who are very far from God? Would we invite them into our home? And as I think about this, here's what keeps running through my head. How can we share our love for Jesus unless we have meaningful relationships with people who are spiritually adrift. And if we're honest, we can come up with all sorts of reasons why we prefer to avoid such people. Oh, they might ask us hard questions that we don't feel equipped to answer. Their attitudes and their habits might make us uncomfortable because they're not like us. They might be a bad influence on us. How about if we look at that 
from the other side and trust that the Holy Spirit could work through us so we could be a good influence on them. I once met a woman named Sharla who worked as a server in a restaurant. And she was a faithful follower of Jesus. She was friendly with her co-workers, but she wasn't friends with her co-workers. She never socialized with them because she didn't want to get too close to those ungodly people. On her lunch break, she never sat with other people in the employee break room. She would always sit in a corner alone reading her Bible. She thought she was acting godly. She thought she was being a spiritual role model for them. They thought she was a spiritual snob. I find myself wondering, do you and I, do we ever in some way act like spiritual snobs toward people who aren't connected to Christ? Jesus never did. He welcomed people. Well, one day the Holy Spirit put this thought into Charlotte's head, and here it was. How could her co-workers ever learn about Jesus if she, Jesus' representative in that place, remained aloof and isolated? And that thought prompted some change in her behavior. So she took the initiative and she started inviting co-workers to join her for coffee and for lunch. And her only goal was to build sincere, caring relationships. And as those relationships developed and morphed into friendships, she then practiced hospitality and invited people into her home for meals and for holidays and and for parties. And yes, some of those people had habits she didn't like. A few of them used a lot of profanity. A couple of them smoked pot. A couple of them were sexually promiscuous. Charlotte realized that she, like Jesus, could love people and accept people without endorsing their lifestyle choices. So she simply tried to be a good friend. And by becoming a good friend, she got to know them. She got to know their joys and their hurts and their challenges and their successes. And it was through these relationships and through the knowledge of these people and the details of their lives that she found then natural opportunities to express her faith. Because these people were her friends and they trusted her, they would share a need and then she could say, oh, how can I pray for that? And someone would get sick and she'd show up at their door with a meal. And through the ebb and flow of these relationships, she found natural opportunities to invite some of these friends to join her at a church social event or to visit her life group or to come to Sunday worship. And whenever she did that, she used the simple invitation that Jesus used. Come and see. Come and see. Over the next three years, Charlotte had the privilege of bringing six co-workers to Jesus. And each of those people got excited about their newfound faith, and they brought other co-workers to Jesus. At the time I met Charlotte, the restaurant had 30 employees, and 25 of them, including the manager, had become followers of Jesus Christ. It totally changed the culture of that place. Charlotte would be the first to tell you that she's not a Bible scholar. She's not someone that has all the answers. She was so excited that 
She was able to make a huge impact on the people around her. And it happened simply because she resolved to love them and to be their friend and to practice hospitality. And that was the means by which God opened the door. And along the way, she regularly looked for opportunities to extend that simple invitation. Come and see. That's the invitation Jesus offered. That's the invitation his disciples offered. Look what happens as the story continues in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at this great response. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. He got curious about Jesus. Jesus said, come and see. He found out about Jesus. And what did he do? He immediately went off to share that exciting news with his brother. And we see this pattern repeated throughout Scripture. People get to know Jesus and they love who he is and what he stands for. So they don't selfishly keep that news to themselves. They love to share what they know about Jesus with other people. It's our church mission statement in action in a very personal way. And we see the same thing that happened with Andrew happened with this man named Philip. He meets Jesus, and he can't wait to tell his friend Nathaniel. But as we read, Nathaniel immediately forms a negative impression about Jesus. He's, a, he's like a lot of people that you and I might meet. He's not instantly drawn to Jesus. Instead, he's skeptical. There's a lot of skeptics in this world. Philip is not deterred. He invites Nathaniel to come and see Jesus for himself. And I love that response because it reminds us that we do not need to be fearful of skeptics and scoffers. You see, it's not my task and it's not your task to convince people that they need Jesus. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But rather Rather than argue with people, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is offer this simple invitation. Come and see. Come to our church social gathering and see what Christians are like. And as you get to know us, you'll find out that we're not any weirder or stranger than any other group of people. Come to my life group and, and see how we try to support each other. See how we pray for each other and encourage each other and help each other navigate this challenging thing called the life of faith. Come to our church and see what it's like to worship and pray and encounter the living God through the pages of the Bible. This is a simple and powerful way 
for each of us to be personally involved with the mission of the church. We look for opportunities to invite people. Come and see. Back when I worked in the in the corporate world, I had a coworker named Bob who was very intellectual and very skeptical about faith. And he was way more skeptical than Nathaniel, who we just read about in this Bible passage. Bob and I became very good friends, and we spent a lot of time socializing together. And as I got to know him, I realized that Bob had a lot of stereotypes about Christians and church that simply weren't true. So I said, come and see. Bob came to church. He came several times. And he realized that much of what he had believed about Christians was wrong. And he became very curious about God. And he started to take some steps toward Jesus and investigate what it might mean to live a life of faith. Now, unfortunately, this is a story without an ending because my company transferred me across the country and I lost touch with Bob. So I don't know if he ever came to a point where he was able to repent and be baptized and express faith in Jesus. What I do know is this, our friendship and my invitation to come and see helped remove obstacles to faith in his life and helped him take several steps closer to God. And my hope and my prayer is that God sent someone else into his life to build on what he'd learned and to hopefully bring him into the family of God. Sometimes it takes a number of people to help bring someone fully to Jesus. It was true in my life. Pray that that might be true in Bob's life. But here's why I bring this up. It's so important to realize that when we invite people to come and see, we do not know how it will turn out. We just need to be faithful and do our part. And with that simple invitation, we can bring people into situations that give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work in their minds and in their hearts and in their lives. And it's up to that person to decide how they will respond to the nudge of the Spirit. We practice hospitality. We build good friendships extend simple invitations and then we let God do what only God can do. Now there's one other point I believe we need to see in this passage. As we connect with people who are far from God, we need to recognize that the church and the language of the church is very foreign to many people in our world today. And we often tend to use a lot of Christian terminology, which isn't bad, but it's often not understandable to the people that we're talking to. I think we need to minimize that and avoid it and just use words that people know so we can communicate clearly. And we see John, the author of this passage, do that here in verses 38 and 41 and 42. See what John does? He translates or defines the words Messiah, Rabbi, and Saphos. And he does that because he has two different kinds of people who hopefully will read this book. The first one is the Jews, and they know what those terms mean. But he expects Greeks to read this book as well, and they may not know what those words mean. 
He wants everyone who reads this book to clearly grasp the message of Jesus. So whenever necessary, he defines or describes or translates terms. You see, he's thinking about his audience, and he's communicating accordingly. And I think we need to do, this, to do the same by translating or defining or at times even avoiding the use of Christian terminology that's unfamiliar to people who are outside the church. And here's a few examples. Consider the word gospel. Now, this book we're reading is called The Gospel of John, but most people don't hear the word gospel in daily conversation. How often does that come up? It's a foreign and unfamiliar term. And unless you're in the church or have a church background, you probably won't know that gospel means good news, and specifically it's the good news about Jesus. And this book is called a gospel because it's John's historical account of that good news expressed through the life and ministry of Jesus. And what that means in practical terms is that this book is a biography. And everybody knows what a biography is, so that's the term I usually use rather than gospel. I refer to this as John's biography of Jesus. I'm trying to use a more familiar term to remove a barrier to communication. How about the word sin? Our culture, by and large, has no understanding of sin. I don't think this is a word we can just throw out and use and expect people to understand. I think we need to define it and describe it. So I often talk about the condition of being separated from God, a condition that results in behavior that's harmful to us and harmful to others and falls short of what our Creator expects of us. And that's one way to understand sin. And by describing it, Hopefully, I help people with no church background to better understand what I'm talking about. And then think about this. When you go to the Shedd Institute to see a play, they hand you a program. When you go to the Holt Center to see the symphony, they hand you a program. When you go to PK Park to see a ball game, they hand you a program. And when you come to church, you get a bulletin. What's a bulletin? It's not a common word in our culture. And that's why I started referring to what we hand out as a program. It's just a more familiar term. It makes the church seem less strange to people who are coming in from the outside with no background and no perspective. And they're coming here to learn about Jesus, not to try and wade through all of our jargon. And those are just a few examples. You could think of a whole lot more, I bet. But the point is this, that without meaning to, we inadvertently create obstacles for spiritual seekers when we use our own insider languages. And, and these words get in the way of the message that we have to share. I don't want anything to impair our ability to communicate the message. It is profound. A message that God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, came down here in human form in the person of the man we know as Jesus, and he died on the cross for us. The creator died for his creation. And he did that so we could know God, our creator, in a personal way. 
It is a mind-boggling message. And it's hard for people to grasp even when they understand it. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that the message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross is a stumbling block for people. And they have to get past that stumbling block to take a step of faith and become a follower of Jesus. And if the message has the potential of being a stumbling block, then let's not make it even harder by creating an unnecessary stumbling block of unfamiliar Christian terminology. Let's think about who we're talking with and strive to communicate clearly. Clear communication, hospitality, looking for opportunities to say, come and see. And I believe that as you and I do these things, as we integrate them into our daily lives, we will have more opportunities and we will have the privilege of bringing more people to Jesus. Now, I have to admit that for many years, I was very fearful and tentative about sharing my faith. But that's all changed. And today, I love connecting with people who are far from God. I love talking with them and getting to know them. And part of what I find is that when I interact with people like that, it really enriches my faith. I find myself praying more. I find myself listening more closely to the Holy Spirit because I need His wisdom to help me discern ways in which I can find out what's going on in the lives of these friends and then connect the living God into the needs of their lives. And it is so exciting to see what God prompts me to say when I'm listening to the Spirit. For example, when I realized that one of my friends was full of fear, the Spirit prompted me to tell him about the God whose perfect love drives out all fear. It was the guy who felt unloved that I was able to tell him about the God who is love. The woman who was insecure and I described the God who promises to meet our needs. The former co-worker who struggled with guilt and I shared about the God who loves to forgive. And people are touched when they realize that God, God, might actually be interested in what they perceive to be the deepest needs of their lives. And so often when we can make that connection for them, then they want to learn more. And then it's the most natural thing in the world to extend that simple invitation. Come and see. We can offer that invitation to friends that we know well, and we also can offer that invitation to people that we just meet casually. I find myself doing this more and more on a regular basis as I go about my business because I'm discovering that late in the week, Thursday and Friday, cashiers in stores and baristas at Dutch Brothers and many other people will say, so what are you doing this weekend? You get that question? Did you ever realize it's an opportunity? I love it when I get that question. So I usually respond by telling them about something that I'm doing on Saturday. But no matter what I tell them, I always add. And then church on Sunday, as usual. 
and I almost always get some kind of response. At the very least, oh, what church do you go to? I get to tell them about Garden Way Church, who we are, where we meet. Now, often that's the end of the conversation, but not always. Sometimes I get some very interesting responses. I love the guy who said to me, wow, I thought only old people went to church today. (laughs) I was really grateful that he didn't think I was that old. (laughs) And I was able to tell him we had a church full of actual young people, (laughs) people around his age. It was very natural to say to him, come and see, come and see. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a store and the cashier said, you know, this week I realized there's a whole spiritual piece of life that I don't know anything about. I think I need to get God figured out. All because I said I was going to church on Sunday. Short, fascinating little conversation and it was so natural to say to her, come and see. And sometimes these people do respond to my invitation and they show up here on Sunday morning and then we get the privilege of welcoming them and making them feel at home here and hopefully bringing them to Jesus. Why don't you give that a try? The next time someone asks you, what are you doing this weekend? Along with whatever else you say, tell them you plan to be in church on Sunday morning and see what kind of response you get. It might lead to a conversation where the most natural thing in the world for you to say will be, come and see. We need to realize that the people of this community desperately need to hear about Jesus. And many of them never, ever will hear unless they hear about him from you and they hear about him from me. That's our mission, yours and mine. It's a mission we can accomplish because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us for that specific purpose, to represent him wisely and well in this broken world. Let's embrace our mission with confidence, with enthusiasm, so we can bring people to Jesus.